It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants Mobile App. John Schmelk, former Giants punter Jeff Fegels, Lance Sumetta with you. We'll take your calls from the fans a bit later on at 201-939-4513. But I want to get right to our guest. He is Ryan, Ryan Fowler. He's one of the hosts of Tuscaloosa's longest-running sports talk show by the voice of the fan. Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. on the Tide, 100.9. Daily coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide to talk about the bajillion Alabama prospects <laughs> hitting the NFL draft. Ryan, you got John, Jeff, and Lance up here in New Jersey. Hope you're well, man. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. It's good to be on with you. It's an honor to uh, to see the name pop up on the phone, and let's talk some Alabama Crimson Tide football. Absolutely. Well, let's start with Evan Neal because I'm sitting here hoping he's sitting there for the Giants at 5. Um, give us some things maybe about Evan Neal that we don't know from watching him on tape that you've been able to, to kind of glean from him being up close and personal with him down there in Alabama? Well, uh, if it's sunny and you're standing beside him, you're in the shade. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he is a massive guy. I think sometimes you look at size and then when you get up beside them, and listen, I'm not a guy that you know, is over six feet. I mean, I, I stretch out and I'm 5'9", so I got up beside him and it's it just like uh, – but I, I think when you look at his size, I mean, he came in about 360 and they played him at right tackle. He's a very versatile offensive lineman. Uh, when you look at the NFL, I, I think he's a guy that – when you do radio in Tuscaloosa, you're always hearing things about players, you know, behind the scenes. Well, this guy did this, this guy did this. Uh, I cannot remember a time that I heard anything about Evan Neal other than just the character – a high-character guy and a guy that just, you know, abides by the process. And he is also the most freakiest, six seven. Now he's dropped a lot of weight, but, you know, six seven three thirty five. 335. Uh, he's the freakiest guy. If you can just kind of picture this, okay, I can't even do this at, at 230. But he jumps up on the boxes, and, and these boxes are like uh, probably three feet tall. And they've got one of the front, one of the back. And so what this guy does, he jumps up, and he splits his legs on both of these boxes. You guys will have to find it on Twitter. No, I saw it. 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 It's crazy. It's crazy. It, <laughs> I, I mean, there's probably running backs, uh, skill guys that are not able to do that. But, I mean, he does it at 6'7", uh, 330, and just the power and the speed that uh, – not the speed, but just, just the way that he uh, fires off the football. Um, you know, I, I've got everybody in Tuscaloosa mad because I've said that our offensive line – well, this year is not going to be as good as last year because I don't see an Evan Neal out there. He's going to be missed in Tuscaloosa significantly, and I think he's going to be a great NFL player. Um, I'll go, Lance. Uh, Ryan, so I just, you know, you're looking at this guy. I was just infatuated with him watching the, uh, the draft and just him going through some of these drills. The 10 foot, 9 inch broad jump, I think that's the one that got me. Um, six foot seven, 300 plus pounds is being able to elevate and just be able to do that. Let me ask you two questions. Number one, you said he lost some weight. It, do you feel like he's comfortable at that weight? Do you think he plays, obviously plays a little bit better with a, a lighter frame, but you know, he's a mammoth of a man. You kind of want him to be that big. And the second one is that I just look at him in the run game as how he attacks these guys it's in, in the way he run blocks. Um, give me a little insight on that and just, you know, overall what you said, it's just an, an 
absolutely an amazing talent. And like John said, we're hoping that he's sitting there at number five because I certainly would like him. Oh, one other thing, too. Uh, he says here that he played every position, started at every position in his career at Alabama. Um, do you think that right tackle is where he needs to be, left tackle? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the NFL, um, you know, he, he's a guy that, that I think can play left tackle, but I, I would probably say that he's probably more of a right tackle. Uh, and, and that's just – and, I'm listen, I'm not a scout. I'm not a value guy. I just have to watch it with my eye. <laughs> but now keep in mind, he goes up against Will Anderson every day in practice. So it, it, you think about ironing out your skills and fixing your problems. Uh, Will Anderson, you know, may be the number one, number two pick uh, in next year's NFL draft. I mean, this guy's a freak down here. I mean, you're talking about another freak, and Will Anderson's that guy. But Evan Neal is a guy that just stays engaged when you look at that mm-hmm. offensive line. I mean, they were very comfortable running to that side. They were not very comfortable running to the other side. Uh, we had some issues over on the right side of the football, but that left uh, was, you know, Mr. Dependable uh, with him and uh, Javion Cohen. So when you look at Evan Neal, like I said, I, I just look at him as a guy that is full effort and everything. I mean, he, he doesn't slack on anything, whether it's working out, uh, whether it's, you know, it seemed like an academic guy uh, and, and a guy that is always great for the media. And I know you guys will appreciate that. I mean, he's always willing to come over even after some of those disappointing games. And I just see that true leader uh, in Nevin Neal. And, you know, I, I'll say this. If I was a part of that team and six seven three thirty came over and told me to do something, uh, I'd do it immediately. So you look at the leadership, I think that's another component that maybe we don't talk enough about uh, when you look at that leadership of Evan Neal. But he played right tackle his first freshman season, and he came in and it was like from day one, you're like, you're going to have to find a spot for this guy. And, uh, and then, you know, moved over to left tackle. But, you know, he, he's a guy that, uh, you know, coming in out of high school, uh, just, a, you know, a guy that probably a little bit overweight, but he was able to trim that down. And uh, I think he's comfortable at that 330, 335. And I think that's kind of where he wants to play is what he sold us. Ryan, I want to move on to other positions on the offensive side of the ball, specifically wide receiver, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, both guys that are expected to go high in the draft, both coming off of, though, ACL injuries. Two-part question, A, what are you hearing in terms of their recovery from the injuries and how that could impact their draft status? And B, somebody who's seen them up close and personal, clearly we know they have an overwhelming wealth of talent, but what differentiates the two in your mind, at least when it comes to the NFL level? Well, let's walk back, if, if we may, and look at Jamison Williams coming in out of Ohio State. They had a lot of talent at wide receiver, so this is not a criticism. But he caught eight footballs one year. He caught nine the next. He came to Tuscaloosa as a transfer, 79 catches, 1,500 yards, and a guy that's probably one of the fastest guys, 15 touchdowns. I mean, just a, just a guy that took the top off of the secondary. And you watch corners kind of cheating a little bit on the line of scrimmage because they almost had to cover him a little bit. You had to get somebody over the top. But, I mean, you even watch the, you know, the corners that were lined up on him kind of you know, just backing up a little bit because that speed uh, is simply amazing. I think you've got to give Dr. Ray some credit. He just went to the Saints as their sports performance guy. He was a world-renowned speed expert. I think he, he was able to do some things with Jamison Williams. Uh, when you look at him, without him – I don't think Bryce Young is in New York City for that Heisman Trophy presentation. I think he's that difference. And I also think Nick Saban called him a dog 
and and <laughs> you know what that means is he came in and he was the alpha dog in that wide receiver room. We asked him about that. What does that mean? And he goes, you know, that's the highest compliment that I can receive. So I think that type of personality with him uh, is simply amazing. But I, I look back at a guy that's probably not even on the radar when you talk about coming out of Ohio State and then 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns and 79. I mean, you, you look at that stat and the Blitnikoff finalist. Uh, and, and then when you go to John Mechie, John Mechie's a guy that has really got an amazing story uh, when, you, when you think about that. I know that's not what you guys asked, but I think he just, he's faced some adversity. And it's not nothing that, that he did. It was just, you know, like his, he won a national title. His family was not able to travel to watch him play because they were in Canada. And uh, so you look at John Mechie was not able – to celebrate with his family, and I always think about that's a highlight of his, you know, his career, and not having a family member to be able to celebrate that national title. So John Mechie was a guy that was a just a, another core leader, and and a guy that if you watch him, he's catching the football, and he's a great wide receiver. And I don't know, you guys probably don't want to hear about blocking, but uh, if you watch him, he also has that same personality when he goes out and blocks. So he's kind of a, you know, a guy that gives everything, but a, you know, whatever his responsibility is. You know, he's going to do it to the maximum. But a guy that's uh, it's been a represent, uh, representative uh, of Alabama, Alabama took him to media days, one of, you know, two or three play, three players, I guess, that went to SEC media days. So John Mechie is, is not nowhere near as fast as Jamison Williams, but he's definitely a, a ball player. I don't see, you know, some of the projections with him, and I almost wonder if he would have had a chance to, uh, to maybe work out a little bit more uh, with that ACL injury that, that he might. And I know they're going to do a secondary pro day. And going back, I think I missed a question with Jamison Williams. He is ahead of schedule on the ACL. So, uh, And he was able to do some things. I saw some video of him just doing some basic drills. And if you think about you know, the national championship game was <clears throat> that first or second Monday in January, and here we are in the first uh, few days of April, that's I mean, that tells you the work ethic right there that he's been able to do that and, and to be able to do something. So I would expect he'd probably be a full go, both those guys, when they, when they get ready for football uh, in some of these camps in the offseason. So I think he'd be both those guys will be ready to go. Right, I want to jump over to defense and ask you about Christian Harris, the linebacker. I watched him on tape. I think he's a wonderful player. The one thing I don't think we saw him do a ton of is being asked to cover, and when he did, I'm not sure how well he did it. But, boy, downhill, violent range, speed, the athleticism, his testing was great. Uh, he's 226. He seems to have the movement skills, Ryan, to cover. What can you tell us about him him coverage-wise and then maybe what he does really well? Yeah, I mean, look at a guy that was a three-year starter for Alabama, coming in out of Baton Rouge, played at University High down there, big-time program, played all over the field. This guy was a safety, running back, quarterback. If that tells you the athletic ability – Alabama had some injuries and really forced him into into that responsibility early. He had to jump in. He had to learn the defense. And there, listen, there was some uh, you know some valleys with with early on. But I mean, you look at a guy that came in out of high school, true freshman. But I go back to what you said. Coverage is a little bit of a concern for him. And and you look at him and you're like, okay, it, it really shouldn't be, but it, it, it is a little. It and, and I think you know maybe he could find a way, uh, but. I think that's why you're seeing some second-round projections uh, for Christian Harris. He's a guy that turns it on. And and, and I'll tell you another thing that may be underrated about him is the opportunity to get to the quarterback. I mean, he he put a lot of quarterback hurries on his stat sheet in three years and was was a guy that really created a lot of headaches. So they were comfortable bringing him from a lot of different angles. Uh, Christian's a – 
is a guy that I want to see. And I think there's still some ceiling for him, too. I don't think he's maxed out because I think when you play a player early, it's great for some aspects of his game. But I also think sometimes it's better to let those guys develop a little bit. But because of injuries, he was forced into that responsibility early. And it might have hindered a little bit of his developing. Uh, in some ways it helped, but in some ways it hurt. I hope that makes sense. Ryan, um, Federian Mathis is a guy that I look at some of the grades that this guy's getting. Um, excuse me. <coughs> and, He's very know, emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm very yeah. emotional <laughs> about this guy. One yeah. Be, yeah. One be, hey, don't, don't be emotional. He, he's a really, yeah, he, don't be emotional. Well, I, got you. I got you. If you know how I butcher names, you would see why I'm emotional that I got this right. So that's, uh, um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I look at it the way that, uh, you know, I have him – People have him draft anywhere from like the 45th pick up to 115. Um, there's probably a reason for that um, that I'm hoping that you might be able to tell us, Ryan, a little bit more about uh, Mathis and just what he brings. A big guy, obviously, interior defensive lineman, can put some pressure on the quarterback. But um, in your mind, is he more of a big run stopper? Is he a two-down player? Give me a little bit more about Mathis. So, Fedarian Mathis is a guy that really hit a switch late in his uh, in, in the 2020 National Championship season. That, there was like another level. And when you look at Fedarian Mathis uh, coming back and, and really being that dominant defensive line, Alabama needed that guy. And Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, freshman All-American, these guys are edge rushers. And I think what he did is did a lot of, you know, he, he got to the quarterback. Pressure up the middle was key for Alabama. And this is one of the areas that they're going to have to replace. But Fedarian has worked with a guy by the name of Coach Pete Jenkins. Coach Pete Jenkins, if you just Google the name, he's the best defensive line coach that, that probably you know ever walked. Uh, I mean, that's his specialty. 55 years of coaching. And I think what – and I was talking to Federian about this uh, a couple of days, you know, about two weeks ago at the Pro Day. And Coach Pete Jenkins is a guy that trains him in the offseason. And he said that he had improved his technique so much. Now – He's a consultant here for Alabama, I think five days in the spring and five days uh, in the fall. But he talked about working with him for that length of time, but just individually able to correct some of just little things to make him a better defensive lineman. When you look, and I had a guy on earlier this week, and he told me uh, it was just his mock draft, which I love those. They're entertainment purposes. Enjoy the, the conversation around those. And he told me on the air that he thought he was a third-round pick, and I'm going, third-round what a value that you could get a guy like that uh, to be able to, you know, to be able to plug some holes. But also, he creates some headache for the quarterback too. Uh, but I think really, when you look at Fedarian, he he's a guy that is just motor is always running, and I think that's evident when you start looking at that stat line. But the pressure up the middle was key for him because he almost can, you know, like when you look at Will Anderson had eighteen and a half sacks. Some of that was because the pressure up the middle was kind of forcing that quarterback to go one way or the other. So you had Dallas Turner on one side, Will Anderson. Some of that pressure up the middle, you know, you don't really show that up in the stat line, but some of that's all on Federian Mathis of kind of helping out that area. Ryan, I want to jump back to the offensive side of the ball as we slowly look to wrap up here because one of the players we didn't mention was Brian Robinson Jr., the running back. He clearly made a name for himself this year because he finally actually got opportunities. He had 271 carries. He didn't see the field as much over his previous few years. I guess my big question is, from what I've seen, from what I've heard, there's some concern about his running style. Maybe not holding up on the NFL level because he's that downhill runner, very physical. 
and whether or not durability questions will arise. What do you make of that as he now makes the jump to the NFL? Well, I, I go back to covering Brian Robinson in high school. I, I was I was here, watched him develop, watched him be patient behind a lot of great backs in Tuscaloosa, and really waited for his opportunity. Was a team player, a guy that really embraced wearing the crimson jersey. I know that really didn't answer anything what you're talking about, but just kind of setting the stage for him developing as a player. You're right. There, there is some questions around Brian Robinson. He he gives you a lot, but then I think when you look at a guy that's just going to break away. I don't think he's going to be that guy that's going to go out and, and, and run a 35-plus yard run or, or even maybe a 25. But I think what he's going to give you is is that work ethic. And, and listen, he, he had an injury that he could have shut it down and just said, you know what, I'm, I'm just really not able to play. Well, he sucked it up. And, you know, you like to see a guy like that. And we ask him why, you know, in the media room that he played through, you know, this, this injury. And that was not a significant injury, but it was one that, that, that he could have, you know, had a reason to, to, to set out with. Uh, and, and when you look at Brian, he, he said, listen, you don't get to wear it. You know, you know, I've only got a couple more games of wearing the crimson jersey. I'm not going to give that up. Fans embrace that uh, here. So Brian is a guy that, yeah, you can criticize. I think he's got really good hands coming out of the backfield. But I do look at what you said. His running style is a little bit different. Um, it's so hard, and I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you look at guys that have success in the college ranks, and then you look at guys at running back. It's hard to almost project what they're going to be at the NFL because I see guys that I don't even really recognize, and and they're they're also you know they're super pros on Sunday afternoon, but they were not you know they were just kind of B plus B minus top college players. But when they get to the NFL, it's it's like another level to them. And then you also see guys that go into the NFL that are great backs in college that don't make it in the NFL. So I think Brian Robinson's a guy that, yeah, he gives you some, but there, there's some areas of his game that he's going to have to improve. Uh, and, and probably, you know, what they're going to want him to do at the NFL uh, is 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 be a reliable guy. And and here's the part that he played a lot of: cast protection. He, when you look at him on pass protection, he took the same pride in taking out a blitzing linebacker as he did a seven, eight, nine year, uh, yard run. So I think that's a credit back to Brian Robinson's game. You know, when, when you think about him giving you that type of effort, uh, go back and watch him with, with, with some of his blocking techniques. I mean, he takes a lot of pride. And, and I think that, you know, when you look at Bryce Young, he kept him upright with a very, C plus, B minus offensive line. Probably the worst one I've seen in quite a few years here. But he was a guy that stayed in the backfield and kind of did his job. No question about it. All right, Ryan, let's let, let, let's wrap up here. Uh, we could obviously do this for another half an hour with all the guys coming out of Alabama. Just, sure. I will leave this wide open for you. Any other guys coming out this year that you think are worth mentioning, worth talking about, that, that you think fans should keep an eye on with the draft about three weeks away? Well, there's some guys that you could get in the late-round picks uh, that might be some value. And when I say late, I mean, I'm, I'm talking beyond that, that third round. You look at guys like, you know, Jalen Armour Davis, uh, thinking about a defensive back that, that, that had some success here, tore his ACL on a warm-up in, in practice and was able to battle through that and break his way back into that secondary and played a significant role for Alabama uh, down the stretch. When you back up and you, you think about guys, this is not a heavy Alabama class. Uh, there's some talent there, but it's not that top heavy. 
Alabama fans are so spoiled rotten uh, <laughs> that that we're complaining that we're getting two guys in the first round. I mean, I mean that's what you know that's what's the complaint here. So it's not a very deep class, but I can promise you next year we'll make up for it. Uh, but this year, I mean, still they may have the number one overall pick or they may have the number five overall pick. Uh, when you look at first-rounders, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, I think we covered it. You know, Slay Bolden's probably going to be a really late guy, may even be a non-drafted free agent. Uh, he's a guy that you kind of look at as a slot guy. Uh, but but when you start kind of looking, it, it, there's some talent there, but it's not Alabama. And I think it really is evident that Alabama was so young this past year. I mean, they were they were super Young and, and that's the rest of college football should be a nightmare. It's probably keeping up coaches all over you know <laughs> the schedule, uh, keeping these guys up because they were they were a lot of freshmen and sophomore that made a contribution to Alabama's team and uh, they were so close to winning a national title. Yeah, I was going to say so young yet they beat Georgia in the regular season and what <laughs> came away? It's amazing, yeah. Ryan. Great stuff, and we really appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you next year when Alabama has a uh, even much deeper class in this one. Thank, Thank you, my you, friend. Ryan. Thank Thanks, you. Ryan. Hey. Call anytime. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. Great to talk to him. He did a great job. Ryan Fowler again. You can listen down on uh, 100.9 down there in that is Tuscaloosa. When you think about how young they are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I figured. It's like actually if, funny. If, the best prospects on Georgia and Alabama, like he said, Anderson, and then uh, defensive tackle for Georgia. Lance, help me. Do you know the, 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 the name? I'm... It, it, and uh, I, I got to look it up. I was watching yeah. Georgia today. It's unbelievable. But those are like the two best prospects on the two teams, yeah. and they're still in school next year. I'm telling you. You're not talking about Jordan Davis, are you? No, no I'm not talking no, about no. Jordan Davis. You're talking about guy. a younger guy. Yeah, hold on. To. Okay, Number 88. I just hold on. Um, the, the, the Jalen Carter from Georgia, who's a monster. Wow. He's going to be yeah. a beast. Now, listen, you know, Alabama gets whoever they want, basically. You know, so it's no surprise that every single year somebody says, well, they're going to be more talented next year. Well, really? <laughs> I mean, when are they not talented every single year? You know, so um, I just think like the teams like Georgia have now found uh, some sort of a formula to be able to get some of those players and develop them too to compete. So uh, but quite a quite a mix of good guys. I just look at, you know, some of these these guys that, that we talked about today and just, you know, Evan Neal to me, guys, um, and John and I talked about a little bit about this yesterday about uh, Lance, you know, just if some reason he doesn't have to go and, you know, he, he doesn't work out at the tackle position. Can you imagine a six foot seven, 335 pound guard? <laughs> well, and I think what you like it's about him too, and, up. and Lance yeah. Ryan made this point, he, you know, he, we've, he's the only guy we've seen at right tackle and we know mm-hmm. he's good there, right? Mm-hmm. Cross and Aquani, you're guessing, but Neil, you know. Yeah. We saw it for a full year. Yeah. He could play right tackle and he was damn good at it. And that first step, he's that's that's ingrained in his mind right now. That right. stance mm-hmm. and that first step. I feel like we always talk about it. We always think it's much easier. We've never done it. But you know, we always talk about how guys can make transition from the left to the right. It's you know, yes, it can it be done, but you know, it's not as easy as you think. And some guys just don't pick it up as as good as others. So um I feel like you're getting you want to get a player that has really done well at this level of college football at his perspective position, respective position. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking like skill to play both positions. I'm just talking about the the, the physical mechanics the player has to be able well, there's to There's tangible adapt. evidence, yeah. too. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Of him working there. Yeah. 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 So um, interesting. But yeah, big boy, Evan Neal. Sounds well, like I, a great guy. Bruce sounds I, like just. Go ahead, Lance. Sorry. No, go ahead, Jeff. Finish your No, point. I'm just yeah. saying he sounds like 
an all-around just not only an amazing football player but a, a good guy a guy that's going to be good with the media well, he's I, intelligent and jeff i think i think all three of the top tackles check those boxes yeah, which is which good. is a nice thing yeah yeah i just think a guy like that has value because even if you start him out at a position where maybe he hasn't played as much snap wise you still feel good that he has experience at both in college games and he protects you on both sides for example not to hope that anyone gets hurt, but remember, Andrew Thomas did miss time this past season. So if Thomas misses time again, in a pinch, if you had Neal in your lineup, you could flip him out to the left side and maybe have somebody else fill in for Neal at right tackle if you started Neal on that side. So I do think somebody like that gains a little bit more versatility and value in the minds of evaluators because there's not as much projection. Will he pan out? If we move him around, I think you could turn on the film and you say, hey, he's been put in that situation and he's been able to handle that. So I think that bodes well for him, maybe in comparison to some other tackles who only had the bulk of their experience on either the right side or the left side. All right, boys, let's get to the calls. We'll do 35 minutes of calls here, 201-939-4513. Let's go to Garrison all the way down in Mississippi. Wants to talk about the wide receivers in the draft. Garrison, what's up? Hey, how y'all doing? Good, great, man. What's going on? So uh, I was just going to reach out. Um, you know, I'm a new listener, a long-time Giants fan since uh, we traded for Eli Manning. Um, uh, I was wanted to talk about one of the calls from earlier in the week. He was talking about that um, he didn't see, you know, targets with our receivers, but I still have faith in our receivers. Hey, Garrison, um, Garrison, Garrison, real quick. Um, uh, uh, do you happen to be on a speakerphone right now? Uh, you're on my headphones. Uh, okay, yeah, because... The, the signal's not great, so why don't you get to your question, and then we'll answer it as quickly as we can, all right? Okay. Um, so my question was, um, I just had three questions. You can take them off air. Um, it was about the receivers. Um, do you think we're going to be getting another receiver in the draft? And um, what, how do you all feel about uh, the better. tackles? Yeah, I switched it to my phone. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, now we got it. Sounds the crystal clear, Garrison. Yeah. Go ahead now. You're good now. <laughs> Cut off the windmill. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have faith in our receivers, but do you think we're still going to be getting like a receiver in the third round or like later on? Because I know there's death with our receiver group. Very possible, Garrison. Very, very I think possible. that's very possible. Just, just just because there's such good value there at that spot. Yeah, hundred percent. And you also have to take and, into consideration uh, the injuries to some of the guys that are on the roster oh, right Gallaudet now. and Tony for sure. And Shepard. Yeah, and Shepard, yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah Shepard. Even Slayton's been a little bit Lanton. banged up, too. Yeah. Um, and what's the difference between why is a tackle such much more of a need than a guard? Because oh, the they skill don't, set. Well, no, well, well, A, they don't have a guy that's started at right tackle for any significant period of time on the roster right now, for one. And two... It's just a, a position of greater value because you're going to go – you can help guards, right? If you have a guard that's not playing well, you can slide the center over there and help, and there are ways to help that. Teams can scheme it up where, yeah, you can chip a tight end now and then, but eventually on a third and long, eventually that tackle is going to have to guard a, a – you know, block, block a pass rusher one-on-one, -on -one, and if they can't do it, that's going to, you know, screw up your passing game really quick. And they brought in a few guards in free agency. Better so guys, I think yeah. they have some options there. Not to say that they have a long-term answer at every position, but they have options compared to right tackle right now. Yeah, what I'm thinking that the Giants are going to do, they might get like a center or a guard for just some more depth to have competition. But I definitely know that we are getting a tight end since um, 
we lost a fellow Mississippi player with Evan Ingram going to Jacksonville. But I understand why you left. But my last question, you could take it off of air. Um, what do y'all feel about Eli Manning? Do you think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Um, I love me some Eli Manning. That was one of the reasons I became a New York Giants fan because he came from old, uh, old Miss. We traded for him. And I butted heads with my dad and my mom being Saints fan, Buccaneers fan. And um, I just want to get your opinion on that. I'll take it off air. Hey, thank you, Garrison. Appreciate the call. Um, I guess we'll do the Eli thing very quickly first. I hope he's a first battle Hall of Famer. Um, I, I, Eli's just a great guy, and I'm, I'm very biased. It would so just I complete will, his career. I, I will happily admit that I'm biased on that, and I, and I, and I understand the arguments against it. Um, I hope he is. I don't think he will be. I think he's going to uh, the second time around. The problem is that there's a lot of good guys coming up here. There's been a yeah. lot of retirement, so it's a really crowded field. And there is, I was talking, was it Glauber, Probably. I think? And Bob's in those Hall of Fame yeah, things. Yep. And he said there isn't as much, you know, it's not, it's not as uniform of people in favor of him as you might think. He'll make it. He's definitely going to make it. Yes, <clears throat> I agree with that. But I don't. Th- I, I my gut is that he's not going to be first ballot, and we're going to have it's Paul Latino like in here screaming about it for like two years. It's going to be, be jumping through this through the uh, <laughs> the lines here. Where he's going to come out, I don't know. I hope he comes out on your end, Lance. Well, <laughs> trust me, I don't want to deal with any of that. But I would lean towards John. I don't think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think there's going to be a lot of debate in that room yep. with respect to Eli Manning, and I think that it comes down to some people don't necessarily look at the postseason. There's not a shot at Eli, but they look at the entire career. And if there's an argument against him, it's the regular season ups and downs that perhaps bring the conversation back to the middle ground as opposed to people just looking at the two Super Bowls and the two postseason runs. So I think that it's a bit of a polarizing conversation. Not that Eli's a polarizing individual. I just think you're (laughs) going to have people on the opposite ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. with respect to that debate. That alone, to me, I think takes him out of contention for first ballot consideration. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, I feel like... You know his his regular season statistics are going to be the things that hurt him. Sure, well, yeah, and yeah. He, you know he went just through a long period of time too, like where the team didn't make the postseason. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of assigning records to quarterbacks, as you guys well know. Well, you know where I stand yes. on that as well. And, and neither so. do I. <laughs> but you know, if, if you look at offensive production over those years, just the consistency. You know, Eli was a guy that threw a lot of interceptions too, right? He yeah. wasn't a guy that was a low interception guy for a lot of his career, and, which is he took a lot of chances. He threw it downfield a lot, and then. Kind of, he went the other way at the end of his career, right? He kind of helped brought it back in a little bit, became a little bit more conservative. Right, so, right. look, I, I'm with Lance. I, I think there'll be a lot of debate, so I don't think he'll be first ballot. But I'm with Jeff. I think he will get it. But there's a lot of other quarterbacks that threw a lot of interceptions that are in the Hall of Fame. So different I mean, era, though. Yeah, different so, era. Yeah. Um, but you know, regardless, I, I believe I think we all do believe that he'll be there. Yes. Um, when you talk about a wide receiver in this draft for the Giants. I, I don't see any reason why the Giants would not go after another wide receiver here because of the, the depth of the position as we talk about. And by the way, I feel like every single year there's depth at this position. Oh, there is, absolutely. And so I think that you know if, if you want to uh, target a player, then maybe that's that's something. But I still feel like the Giants can get what they want um, in that you know fourth round area, maybe the third round, something. But Well, here's the question I'll ask you guys then. Do you think you could go there with their second round pick? No. How about you, Lance? It'd be hard, especially if you have other positions of bigger need with equal value still on the board Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the question, though. 
What if you sit there, all right? <laughs> let, let's just say, let's play theoretical games. Let's say you get your offensive tackle and your cornerback at five and seven, right? You get, let's say, we're feeling great. We got Evan Neal and Sauce Gardner. We are flying high. We are feeling awesome. We're like, this could not have gone better for the Giants in round one. Mm-hmm. Get to day two. Dettino wakes up after I jam in the neck with the sedative the day before. <laughs> and George Pickens is there. <laughs> we, and we start talking about 36. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple edge rushers we like. You know, maybe Arnold Epichetti's there. You know, maybe, I don't know, Bully Mafe's not. You know, maybe Nick Benito is there. You know, guys that are good, but you don't love them. Ooh, but hold on a second. <laughs> Traylon Burks is sitting there. <coughs> or Chris Olave's sitting there. Well, if or, Olave's there, I mean, to or me, Pickens is sitting it's there. a no-brainer. Yeah. Johan Dotson. Okay, fine. I will take Olave yeah. off the board. Dotson. Dotson, Pickens, Sky Moore, mm-hmm. that group. Mm. Do you go for the edge or do you go for the receiver? Well, then it becomes more of a conversation, John, to what I was saying earlier. It's about putting them head-to-head and who you think is a bigger difference maker. If you're not enamored by those pass rushers, and I don't know if I'm running through a brick wall for any of the guys you named, and I feel much better about the upside of the wide receiver, I have no problem taking the wide receiver. It's just It's more of... Not a textbook answer one way or the other. A lot has to do with the pool of candidates that are still there. And I still think edge rusher is a need for the Giants. I think there's an opportunity for a guy to come in year one and make that impact. So if I love one of the guys, I have no problem going edge rusher. If they're all just in the same group and nobody necessarily stands out, but I really like the wide receiver, then I'll argue for the wide receiver. Now, how about this? Okay, so I'm I'm sitting with you you in the draft room. Mm -hmm. I say, that's a great point, Lance, and I agree. It's a good point. But... Here's what I'm going to tell you. There's always a but. If you don't take that edge rusher here, that position's going to fall off a cliff, and you're not going to get one that you like at all in the third round. Okay, but, well, here's but, my follow-up. Okay, but, go ahead. But yeah. I will tell you, I feel really good. You'll be able to get a good, maybe not as good as these guys, but you'll be able to get a good wide receiver when you get to the top of round three. Does that change your thinking at all? It does, because now you're talking about the drop-off at the mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. So and if I feel, value. Yeah. yeah, if I wait, a little bit longer and it's a significant drop off in terms of edge rusher, but the wide receiver gap is not as big. And once again, I'm going to go back to the state of the roster, which refers to the question the last caller brought up. You have Galladay you just gave a contract to. Slayton's still a young player. You just used a first-round pick last year on a wide receiver in Tony. It's not as if you've got a bunch of guys with canes walking around your roster. Yep. <laughs> so when you take that into consideration, then I'd lean a little bit more towards the edge rusher. Absolutely. I like your flexibility, Lance. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, more than happy to oblige. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and again, with, the receivers that you mentioned, I mean, those can be formidable guys for the next couple of years, you know, easily. So to me, I'm I'm more infatuated, in my opinion, with the edge rushers, and and I got to get one of those guys before that that cliff comes, and then so I will I will definitely go. Because with look, that. It, look, let's be honest, yeah. edge rushers are hard to get in middle rounds. They're just they just don't last because there's such a position that a is valuable, b. There are no like great edge rushers in the NFL that aren't great athletes. Like it's very hard to not be an unbelievable athlete and be a good edge rusher. And those guys generally, you know, are, don't drop right. because because they can't hide. Right. It's not like you can hide one of those guys. Like you're either six uh, five, two sixty, and run really well, mm-hmm. or you don't. Or you're not. Yeah. And I think there's such a huge drop off between the two positions. 
at that defensive edge position, there's a big there's a big drop. There's a cliff. And then the wide receivers, there isn't as much of a drop. There's now, just more t- intangibles about guys. This is a little bit of a deeper edge class, so maybe that cliff at edge comes after the Giants' third-round pick. That's possible. That mm-hmm. is a plausible scenario. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think relates to what the two of you are talking about is I think you also have to look at the track record of the position, which, Jeff, I think is what you were getting at. If you're arguing that wide receiver, A, I would say, makes the easiest transition from college yeah. to the pros. Agreed. And the fact that we've seen, as I've said on multiple shows, guys in the third, fourth rounds in recent history come in year one. And, okay, nobody's saying they're pro bowlers, but they're making an impact. Oh, no, by Whereas, the way, Lance, some of them are pro bowlers. I mean, Well, my, some of them are. No, but my, I'm saying— Michael Tobb is a Cooper Cup or two of the best wide receivers in the damn league. Sure, mm-hmm. but there's other quality guys like a Chase Claypool or a Van Jefferson where, okay, I wouldn't Harry necessarily McLaurin. attach— yeah, pro bowler to them, but I'd say, hey, I'm pretty content with what I got in terms sure. of their early production. I don't think you have the same track record and level of success at the edge rusher position. Agree. So I think you have to weigh that too. It's, to me, it's about the track record and the history of the position in addition to what you're seeing in this year's class, meaning you have to ask yourself, if we wait till the fourth or the fifth round to take an edge rusher, what's the chances of us banking on that and that coming to fruition compared to maybe we wait for a wide receiver in the fourth or the fifth round, the routes we're asking him to run, the level of snaps we're asking him to take, probably a better chance that pans out. With you. 201-939-4513. Doug in Rochester joins us next. Hi, Doug. Hey, um, guys, Lance, uh, John, I love you for bringing up wide receiver. Me, Lance, and Paul had a discussion about that yesterday. Um, Lance, I, uh, I started off wrong. I said the Giants have been neglected in wide receiver position. Okay. Wednesday. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said the Giants. twice in a week, Doug. You're breaking rules on me here, bro. Hmm. I know, but I haven't called in a while. <laughs> So he's making up for lost yeah, time is what he's apparently. arguing. Yeah, yeah but like, like, like I said, I used the word the, the Giants been neglected in wide receiver position. I'm, I, I don't like the, how, they, how they address the wide receiver. The Giants have yeah. been neglecting wide receiver. Just, John, you they can have dra- a go because I fought they, that battle Doug, on Wednesday. That, that so, might, that's okay. one of the single dumbest things I ever heard. They drafted a first-round <laughs> wide receiver last year, and they spent $80 million in free agency on a wide receiver. And they spent the second round pick on Sterling Shepard. How in God's name have they neglected wide receiver? Kumbaya. Oh, John, I said, John, I said, he's wrong. I, I haven't liked it with the receivers because, um, like I said, um, like, they don't, they don't get uh, separation. I don't know how many games that I watched and you didn't even know that they were on the field. Sterling Shepard, Holiday. Not liking the players is different than neglecting them, the position. John, it sounds like you listened to my argument on Wednesday's show. (laughs) Okay, yeah, but what I'm saying is, though, I don't know how many post-game shows that I heard Paul Patino say the receivers aren't getting separation. Carl Banks, Bob Papa, receivers just ain't getting separation. You cannot go into the season expecting to have an offense without a receivers that can... Okay, no, Doug, that's fine. If you want to add a receiver... Doug, 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 hold on. Wait, Mm. wait, wait. If you want to add a receiver that gets more separation, that's fine. That's a different argument to say that they've neglected wide receiver. Those are two completely different arguments. So let's just take the whole neglect (laughs) thing off the table. I don't want to debate that with you. So just talk about... Let me finish. Just talk about the type of wide receiver you want them to draft. Go. 
Okay, okay, John. I said I used the wrong word, neglect. I apologize for that. Okay, good. I said, yeah, Lash cleared it up after he got off. I think Doug was talking about he didn't like the performance. Okay, that's more like it. And I was talking to Lance and, uh, and Paul. I think the 36 pick is more valuable a wide receiver than a, a cornerback. Okay? Because if you look at the Giants' defense, they were a lot better off than the offense. The offense was was horrible. And if you want to fix the offense, I think you could take a Sky Moore or or somebody like that at number thirty six and get another receiver in the fifth or sixth round. Uh, to me, the receiver you have to have a receiver. If you can get a receiver to step on the field, catch sixty seventy passes, seven hundred eight hundred yards. Giants haven't had that in quite a while. Okay, it's been a while since the Giants have that. If they can get a receiver and a draft that can step on the field and give that performance, that's a much need. All right, that's, Doug. That's what players need. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, I can go back and find that happening like three times in the last two years. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't okay. think there's been that big of a drought with respect to those numbers. And also, there's no guarantee that a guy, even if he put up good college numbers, that that's going to automatically translate the first year. Because here's the thing. If we're talking about, and I said this on Wednesday, so I'm not going to go down that road. To say that they neglected the position is absolutely ridiculous when they put (laughs) tons of resources between the draft and free agency in that position. You may not like the results. That's a completely different story. But to say they neglected it is absolutely insane. The point is, though, if you have Galladay, if you have Tony, Brian Dable and the coaching staff is not going to come in and say, well, we're going to bench all those guys and we're just going to bring in a second or a third round pick and have him take all the snaps away. So you're still going to have those guys on the field. So to expect that player to come in year one and jump everybody else on the depth chart, I think is also a bit of a stretch in my estimation based on who's currently on the roster. I feel like people are just trying to look and I understand there's a lot of frustration with Kadarius Tony. I understand it. But you're not just throwing a guy that you picked in the no. first round of the draft into the, the, the garbage bin here. I mean, let's. I mean, no, he's no. very talented. And by the way, you know, we're not mentioning a receiver who isn't by trait a receiver. Saquon Barkley is going to catch a lot of footballs this yes. year. So there's another one of your receivers. Okay. He caught 90 as a rookie year. Now you all do have to make up for losing Ingram, though, too. You do. Well, I think that that's where I think that the, they'll address that quickly in the draft. And by the way, that was a, uh, a question our first caller brought up. We actually didn't get to when right, he hung to the up. Right, tight end. Garrett said, yeah. I think in the third round, top of the fourth round, I think you could find the tight end here that can help you. It's not going to be that Evan Inger move tight end, make big plays type of guy, but he's be a guy that you can plug in and, and he could be a solid player for you. Ruckert from Ohio State, third rounder maybe. I think you might have to use your first third round pick on him. I don't think he's getting to your second third round pick. Okay. I like Kolar from Iowa State. Either either one of those in the fourth. third round. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like the running back position mm-hmm. in the third round this year too. I like both. And yeah. uh Joe Joe Shane, when he was with Brandon Bean in Buffalo, drafted a third um, round running back in consecutive seasons. Well, that could be another trend that is uh let me see. Oh, you know who it is? Um our guy that we talked about the other day. Um where's my things? Um from Iowa State. What's his name? Oh, Brees Hall? Yes. Well, he's going in the second round. Yeah, yeah. I know. So I want him in the third round. Well, you're not uh, getting him. Yeah, Stop being right. Tino. Well, no, all right, you're right. <laughs> Maybe he well, And, guys, I also think that <laughs> with respect. not be that guy. 
<laughs> the wishful thinking guy. Yes. <laughs> Dreams of grandeur guy. Not living in reality guy. Well, John, should I never... go on or should I get back to the topic again? <laughs> never get back to reality, me. will you? Yes. <laughs> what, what happened if Charles Cross shows up on Twitter with a mask on and he drops to the second round? Oh, God. You know, who knows? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A Go guy on. can Fairy dream. Tale land. A guy yes. can dream. Yes. <laughs> no, what I was going to say about your point with respect to the Bills, I think it also has to do with maybe Brian Dable's philosophy about how he may not say to himself, I need a star running back yeah. to do what I anticipate the running backs are going to be right asked here. to do within my offense. Because, you know, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, no disrespect against any of those guys, and I would argue my biggest issue with Buffalo, and that's why I don't campaign to duplicate for people who watch the Bills film and think that the Giants should do exactly what happens is I think they neglected the conventional running backs a little too much. I wanted to see those guys get more opportunities and take a little bit off the plate of Josh oh, Allen. It's funny, Lance, but just to your point, when I was talking to John Feliciano when he got here, we joked about how the Bills never ran the ball and it drove yeah. him nuts. <laughs> well, and I understand how really? he would feel that because he's investing in that. Yeah. You go back and you watch Buffalo, it was the Josh Allen show. And granted, Allen, an extremely versatile and talented quarterback, but I still think there was room for more opportunity from the running back. So I'm expecting balance. yeah, I'm balance. expecting more balance with respect to the Giants. And that I think may have to do with once again, how he utilizes personnel and Joe Shane's been with Dable, so they know each other well. That may be why they didn't necessarily make a big splash on the running back position. Another thing that I just wanted to piggyback off of 2018 and maybe a few years ago, not that ancient Barkley had 91 catches, Beckham had 77, Shepard had 66 in terms of the breakdown. And then Shepard came back and had another season where he put in the mid-60s in terms of reception. I think, I think two years close. ago, they didn't were, Ingram were, and Shepard both have 60 catches two years ago, too, if I'm not mistaken, when I was looking at it? You're talking about 19 or 20? I which thought it season? was 20. 20? I'll look up 20. I got it right here. Hold on. Shepard had 66 that season, to answer your question. So I just have to look up what Evan had. <clears throat> and yeah. Evan stayed relatively healthy in 2020, he wasn't sidelined in 2020, immensely. Shepard had 66 and Ingram had 63. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Shepard's been very, very consistent as far as the amount of catches he gets per year. I think they're all around those numbers. Yeah. He has. He has stayed steady, Jeff, to your point. He just Absolutely. hasn't been able to stay. If he, I, that's yeah. why we were all excited last year when we were doing over-unders. Oh, he got to be healthy for 17 games. Yeah. He could do really well. And he and really he just, looked good. He was. Can. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Jonathan up in Westchester. Jonathan, what's going on? Hey, how are you guys? Happy Friday. What's up, John? You, you too. Uh, so I wanted to build on the, the prior calls. I was listening to your show a few days ago with Matt Waldman. Um, yeah, he's great. Draft expert. I thought he, yeah, he was excellent. Uh, so I actually uh, caught his interview on another show. And on this other show, he, he um, went through the existing uh, wide receiver group on the Giants and kind of threw a curveball. He, um, he surprised me, at least. So he said that he's extremely high on Richie James, the free agent from the 49ers. Um, he said that uh, he just wasn't utilized um, correctly or, I guess, wasn't used enough when he was in San Francisco. I know he was hurt last year. Yeah, he wasn't but, healthy. Um, one, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on him. Well, he didn't Where's play at all that season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Richie James is, is pretty much a straight-up slot guy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, given his size and his measurements, I mean, he's 5'9", 185. You're not lining that guy up, lining that guy up outside. I think maybe you look at how the Bills used Isaiah McKenzie last year. And you think maybe that could be something they could do with Richie James, but I think kind of Kadarius Tony's kind of in that. I realm think he's too. a returner. I think they brought him in here to do returns. I happen to agree. 
That's where the bulk of his experience is. And yeah. by the way, he didn't play last year because he underwent knee surgery. He was waived injured in August, and then he spent the entire year on IR. So you got one year where you have not much of anything from him, and then he's had 10 starts over the course of his career, 38 receptions on the offensive side of the ball. And here's the other thing, guys, which I think is important to note. We just talked about Brian Dable, his creativity, maybe tapping into Richie James. He came from a Kyle Shanahan offense. <laughs> Shanahan <laughs> takes guys off the street who are bums and all of a sudden turns into Catches three bowlers. passes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if Shanahan right. couldn't dazzle everybody with Richie James, Good point. I'm a little bit skeptical that now you're expecting Dable to find things that Shanahan could. And by the way, 20 was the year they went to the Super Bowl, or is that 19? Last 19 was, was 19. the year. So he, he was on that yeah. team, right? So He was, and he was healthy. He played right. all 16 games. Correct. So yeah. I, I agree with you. I would be very hesitant expecting some big breakout from a guy that was in a Kyle Shanahan offense for three years and total 38 catches. Not to say he's a bad player. I just wouldn't expect him to break out here and be like a 50-60 catch guy. No way. They got, there's not enough reps. All right. Yeah. That's all I got today. Thank all you, guys. Hey, thank you. All right. Appreciate yeah. it. Two on the end. I think he's a slot guy, and I think Tony is going to take a lot of those snaps. And then when Shepard, when he gets back. Mm-hmm. So, 201-939-4513. Mike in Brooklyn's up next. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Uh, just something funny. I uh, was hysterical uh, last week talking about Paul. Um, he, uh, he was bringing up centers, and he brought up Jim Otto. And I think, John, you stepped in and said, you know, Jim Otto is, Played in the 60s. No, Mike, Mike, no, Mike, Mike, this was it. This is this what he goes, you know, don't you guys know how good John Otto was? Okay, for you younger guys, don't you know how good Mike Webster was? And I go, Paul, he played in the 70s. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, give me a break. The 70s. I would be, Lance and I aren't young. We weren't freaking born yet. I mean, come on, dude. I was, Mike Webster. I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old in 1972. Oh, so I was like, that was that was so so hysterical. I, I just and your response was just mind blowing. And by the way, he he was in high school. It's not like yeah. Paul was like you know like <laughs> working the the beat. I mean, come on. My well, guess, my in guess, his mind, he was. He was reading the newspapers every morning, John. So come on. <laughs> my did, guess is that Paul you, has wood paneling did, on. Did his you guys walls know that <laughs> Jim Otto had seventy four surgeries related to his football career? I did not know that. that How many? That's a lot. Seventy four. Only 74? And and he had a leg amputated. Holy cow. I did not know any of that, Mike. Now I feel really just, bad for Jim Otto. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah I mean, well, there's a reason why time. he went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, because of how much sacrifice he made. Yeah, I think they have his uh, his knee, his uh, his medical history probably right next to it. Well, here we go. 74. Uh, I, I just I thought you were going to say his knee I thought you said he, was gonna, he has his knee on display at the Pro Football <laughs> That's Hall of Fame. what I thought you were going. <laughs> Jeff, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I, I have it right here. I thought he was going there. 74 <laughs> operations, 28 on his knee. Nine of which came during his playing career. Multiple joints replacements. Um, he had arthritis, back and neck problems. Um, arthritis, yeah, you would think yeah. arthritis would be happening. Yeah. Oh, he had to fight off three life-threatening infections due to complications from his artificial joints. During one, I'm just reading. Life-threatening. Life-threatening. During one six-month stretch, he was without a right knee joint because he had to wait for an infection to heal before another artificial right. knee could be implanted. Yeah, yep. He yep. eventually had to his right knee amputated in uh, on August 1st, 2007. Um, Otto oh, says okay. he has no regrets and wouldn't change a thing, even if given the opportunity to do it all over again. Good for him. 
Hey, Jeff, just out of curiosity, did you ever cross paths with him? Because he's a Miami guy. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say because he played with them. No, <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying because I noticed he's a Miami guy. <laughs> no, come on. I mean, I mean Jeff is up there, but say. he's not that up there. Come uh, on. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I believe I believe I might have um, just in a function somewhere. Well, that's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't recall. No, I don't. But um, wow. it's pretty impressive, though. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's. I did not know any of those Jim Otto nuggets. That is very interesting. That's not why I called. Okay. Okay. Well, clearly, you uh, studied but, up, though, Mike. Yeah, I know. Very impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Mac, I want to know why Matt Corral isn't getting any more love than he is. I mean, I, I watched his. Uh, I watched every game. Ole Miss, I went to Ole Miss, so I watched every game that that he plays. The guy, the kid. I know he's not six foot five, and he's not two hundred forty pounds. But he has the quickest release, I think, in college football that I've seen. I agree with that. Um, he moved. I mean, he's like a modern day quarterback in the way, like a Russell Wilson, um, who's about the same weight and about three inches shorter. Um, he, has a, he has a good arm. He he can move. He can run, and he and he plays hurt. Yeah, you, you guys must have seen the. He had to leave the Sugar Bowl. Yep. Uh, with the ankle injury, I think the um, the pro day he did was more to silence any critics about that injury, and he moved around fine. Um, wh- why do you think he's not uh, getting appreciated uh, like Malik Willis, who, you know, had a, he had a great pro there, but, you know, you, you just, you're throwing, there's no defenders. That, I mean, is that, is, are pro days that important? No, no, no. I don't think it's the pro day. Honestly, I have not done my full sit-down with, with Corral's tape yet. I was going to do that next week. Um, based on what I've read from people that, and I've watched a little bit of him, just you know, not on tape, but you know, live on TV. He came from a very quarterback-friendly system in college, where there was a lot of fast, quickly defined reads, where he's not dropping back, reading the defense, making NFL-type decisions. Um, I agree. I think his athletic profile is interesting. I think he can move. I think he's got a good arm. I think he has a good quick release. I think he's a little bit too quick to run sometimes. He doesn't hang in the pocket mm-hmm. long enough to find receivers. So I think it's kind of the art of playing quarterback in the NFL that I think teams are probably a little unsure about. But, Mike, just to give you an example, there are some people that are really high in him. I just talked to Brian Broadus, a former NFL scout. That's going to be our Giants huddle for Monday. Our Austin Gale one is up now if you guys want to go check it out. And he has Corral as his only first-round quarterback. Quarterback. Hmm. He has his number no one quarterback. Going so where? there are people that do have Corral as their top quarterback yeah. in the draft, but I think there is just some projection based on the system he played in in North Carolina and I mean at Ole Miss as to whether or not that will translate to the NFL. I, I, I hear you saying about the you know the you know getting rid of the ball fast and everything, but he did go through his reads. I mean, there was uh, I, I watched one of these mock. Whatever, and um, the, the the court the guy who was uh, who was uh, I think it was Olafsky, you know, he was showing that you know he went left, he went to center, he went right, and he threw the ball. So he, he you know he does go through reads. Lane Kiff, you know, he's a madman, but he, he hit him thirty times in one game for one hundred eighty yards. Mike, sorry, Mike, you're, you're it's fading in. Yeah, out. your phone's breaking up there, Mike. We already had you on for a bit anyway. You guys want to add something on Corral? I just know there's some teams looking at it. I'm reading on yeah. here. Adam Schefter's reporting that the Eagles, the Steelers, the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers, all teams that we all know are looking. Well, Eagles, I guess, would be one, but uh, looking for quarterbacks. Hey, look, so. I think he's right. Look, you're, you're projecting for all these quarterbacks in one way, shape, or form. I mean, mm-hmm. It all depends what you're willing to take a chance on. Yeah. Again, I think it was like what we talked about yesterday, John. 
you know, if you take this guy in the second round. Oh, I'd be fine with Matt Corral as yeah. like a high upside second round pick. Yeah. I mean, you know, middle not, of the second sure. round. Like, I think that'd be a great pick. Yeah. yeah I think like, that's, and I think that's probably, sure. you know, unless somebody gets infatuated with him that really likes him, that he's a system guy that's, that can plug and play this guy. Yeah. You might see him right there in that second round. See, Lance, for example, I said this to Jeff yesterday. Um, we did our draft season podcast with Tony Pulley and Eric Crocker, and we had a show, and the theme of the show is everyone picks one day two player at each position, right? And who do you like at that position? And it was my turn to pick a quarterback. And I said, guys, I don't want to pick a day two quarterback. I'm not going to give you one. They go, why, John? I go, <laughs> because day two quarterbacks don't work out. Why? Because day two quarterbacks get picked on day one. And, like, if you go back, like, if Derek Carr came out today, He's not dropping to the second round in the draft. Like, it's not happening. He's getting picked in the first round. So it, these guys just get pushed up so much that I think, you know, the guys you're going to end up picking on day two and round two and round three now are probably round four quarterbacks. You know, everyone kind of just gets pushed up so much. It makes it really difficult, I think, to find quarterback value outside of that first round. Well, as far as Corral goes, I do think there is a lot of interest. I, I don't think mm -hmm. it's necessarily fair to say he's a bit underrated because I do think teams have yeah. taken notice of him. Agreed. I think in terms of the court of public opinion, what differentiates him from the other guys, for example, Pickett and Willis, is I think Willis and Pickett have just a little bit more flash. You know, Willis has statistically an impressive season at Liberty. He threw for 27 touchdowns, and then he also has the ability to run. And then on top of that, you know, Pickett had that fake slide, and then he ran in. You know, I oh, just feel like 47 the hype. 47 touchdowns. Yeah, yeah no, mean, on top of that. But I yeah. guess uh, what I'm saying is there's those defining moments in the college season that I think are associated with those two guys. And non-NFL executives, I'm just talking about people who cover the game or fans, I think, you know, they can think back, I remember in week so-and-so, yeah. this player made this play. I just, I don't think Corral's got that. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a bad player. He's just, he doesn't have that wow-me moment within the season. Which, by and, the way, he could have had in the Sugar Bowl if he didn't get hurt. Correct, if he didn't get hurt. Yeah. yeah, but he got hurt early in that game, and he was on crutches, but... I'm not questioning his toughness, and I don't think anybody's overly concerned about that injury because no. I think we're far removed, and it's not like he needed surgery upon surgery. So, to me, you want to fall under the radar, actually, if you're a quarterback. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe sometimes it's better because here's why, guys, and this maybe relates a little bit, John, to what you were talking about, you know, more often than not, maybe teams reach, but... Matt Corral, if he doesn't have the hype, maybe he winds up actually going to a team where A, there's a legitimate chance to start or play behind a starter for a year and then not be thrown into a baptism by fire situation. Remember. And by the what, way, Lance has a better roster around them, so he's sure. a chance to succeed. So that could be good. Yeah, if you're no, a quarterback absolutely. and you go later in the first round, depending on your environment, it actually may be a blessing <laughs> in disguise. For example, Aaron Rodgers, okay? Aaron Rodgers to this day is probably annoyed that the Niners didn't take him. But you know what? Aaron actually, to me, went to the best situation for him. He went to Green Bay where there was good talent. Granted, he wanted to be on the field earlier, but my point is sometimes it's not a bad thing if you actually go a little bit later on in the first round. Like if you're Malik Willis, would you rather get stuck on the Panthers roster, the Seahawks roster, the Lions roster, or the Steelers roster? Give me I'd the, rather go to Pittsburgh. Give me the yeah, Steelers. Me Pittsburgh. Even Adam though they the don't have their house in order right now, they right. have some but work they will. to do. But they but will. Correct. Yes, Jeff. Yeah. And I like the coaching staff, too. Correct. So I think overall, you'd feel much more comfortable going there. Yes. Agreed. You want to, if you're a quarterback, and we talk about this all the time, right? You want to get in the best situation. Yeah. Bingo. You want to get in the best situation. And 
you know, there's a reason these teams keep picking in the top ten. Like it's because <laughs> they, they don't know how to build a team. I think Mac yeah. Jones is a good example there too. No, Mac's it is a good example from last year. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, now we'll see about Trey Lance, right? He's got a pretty good roster around in San Francisco. Can he go win that job? You know, because how often you know Trey Lance is is, is a funny circumstance. You know, usually all you hear when you have one of these rookie quarterbacks sitting behind a starter, oh, man, he's lighting up in practice. Oh, he's been unbelievable. He's killing as the scout team quarterback. He's killing it. We never heard any of that Mm-mm. about Trey Lance. No, we, we only heard that about the guy in, in Chicago, that, that he was ready to play. Justin Fields. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? But we never we, heard like what we heard about Patrick Mahomes. Remember when Patrick Mahomes was behind Alex Smith? People were talking about what he was doing like mm-hmm. with the scout team. Yeah, throwing it behind we, his we back. Didn't, we <laughs> didn't hear that with yeah. those guys last year. It's yeah. interesting. See, I mean, you know, you guys all know we follow this league enough and you know follow the team enough to know that if you're good enough to play, you will be on the field. They, they, the team plays the best players, period. And, and the players see it, right? Yeah. The players see it in practice. Sure, yeah. And the players talk about it, which in turn gets to the media, and that's how it's, it's exposed. So, Correct. yeah. It's interesting. All right, 201-939-4513. Jimmy and Rose Hill will wrap us up today on Big Hello, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Hey, John. I'm just glad I got through because uh, it's the first time I talked to you since uh, you know you made that announcement uh, a couple of weeks back, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. I'm assuming you're talking um, about my kid coming, or are you talking about or my getting his teeth, teeth getting out? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on getting rid of four teeth. Yes, yes. I know. <laughs> oh, that too. I forgot about that. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring. I didn't want to bring that up. I didn't want to bring that up. Hey, I'm, I'm um, feeling great now. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank God Paul didn't mention Mel Hine. He could have done that, but thank God he didn't do that. Jim Thorpe, maybe some like Jim Thorpe talk. Mm. Yeah, well, Thorpe didn't play center, so no, that's true. So he didn't play center. Mel did. Yes. <laughs> uh, here's my question, guys. And John, all these—it's a, a pivot off your, these uh, various uh, podcasts you've had, which are all top-flight uh, oodles of information. But I, Thank uh, you. Um, there seems to be a consensus, though, and regardless of who you listen to, is that this is not—you know—this quote-unquote. There's not a lot of blue-chip people. Uh, Manicharian, I think he said three. But the consensus is not a lot at the top, but but a lot of depth. There should be a lot of good football players throughout this draft. Yes. So at least so here's my question for you guys, and then I'll let, and I'll let you go. Um, so does that mean that there'll be unreasonable expectations for some of these guys who were drafted fourth, fifth, sixth? Yes. You know, who? Uh, but, you know, because the, the the consensus always is, if you drafted in the top ten, you know you should be fitted for the goal. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone every, everyone assumes that you're going to get Tony Baselli or Jonathan Ogden when that doesn't happen all the time. And and is this year in particular set up uh, even more more so because if, if if these people are right and that there aren't a lot of top flight players, then why should a kid who's drafted fourth to fifth <laughs> no get this inevitable? Uh, additional pressure put on him because of the value that in years past is associated with being drafted fifth or sixth or seventh. You're so that's right. Kind of my overall no, Jimmy, you're right, philosophical but, question. No, you're right, but it's it's going to happen. No question. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, it's going to happen regardless. Right. No, but Jimmy, you're right. I, I happen to agree with you 100. percent It's a good take. Absolutely. I mean, the higher you take well, a player, the higher the expectations. Yeah, I think that's the for fault. the player and the team. Yeah, sure. The, yeah. You know. 
the more casual fans that don't like dig deep into this, which is like 95% of the fan base, right? I mean, that's just, that is yeah, what it is, right? Yeah. All they know is that this guy got picked fifth. They don't understand, well, if this player was in last year's draft, he would have picked, been picked 13th. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't mm-hmm. care about that, but that's where we are. Right, and that's right. where he has to live right. up to, which is a lot of pressure. Well, and, and Jeff, uh, one final quote, note. You, got, you were talking one show last week or maybe even earlier this week about kickers and these kicker camps. They've got long, snapping ca- long snapper oh, yeah, camps right. as well. That's a, that's a great way for a young kid <laughs> to... You know, get a college scholarship. I mean, it's it's yeah, when right. you, you know when you watch it often enough, and you watch the level of football that I watch, you know, on Saturday afternoons, um, you, know, you appreciate when you watch the yeah. pros how it just the snap goes. It's almost you don't even think about it. Do they give but, scholarships uh, to 100%. solely long snappers? In fact, I'll tell you, you know, the kicking camps when you go to those. Well, kickers I know, but long snappers. No, it's a, it's the yes. it's, it's their showcase camps, yes. and there's three there's and three components a, to if it. If all you do is long snap, you yeah. can get a college scholarship. Hundred percent. Oh, no. I'm getting Correct. my kid into Absolutely. long snapping. <laughs> Screw this. Absolutely. He's not even born yet. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Out of the womb. Tummy time. No, no, no. Long snapping time, kid. Let's rock and roll. Make Let's a living and and earn your college uh, degree. Looking through your legs. That's that's what you got to do. So no, they are. They, it's it's uh, the kicking camps are showcase camps, and they basically go there to get rated and ranked, and then the colleges come to these these kicking camps, and that's where they get these snappers from. Because you look yeah. at the ability. I mean, you look at how it's improved in college over the years. It's amazing that that position is so it's, – it's, you know, particularly that's all they do. And they're scholarshiped. And so they're good at it. So it just makes the kickers yeah. better well, I, because I just, of the operation and everything else. I knew that they obviously used long snappers and they recruited them. I just didn't know that they, you would get a – you yeah. would have to play a different position or something, well, not just. Well, I think I think at the at the uh, FCS, it's uh, it's a little. It, you definitely do. I mean, excuse me, you can do do both. You know, somewhere you might the long right. snapper but, might but, be the but, tight but, end, but like big time FBS, FBS, another offensive full lineman. fledged yeah. three three specialist on scholarship, That's, just long just yeah. long snapper. Hundred percent, good to know. It's the level of football that you're playing at, and what conference you're in, and how right. many That's scholarships correct. they allow you to give out. Yeah, but the the good coaches, even if you don't, you know, if you, I mean the the high end level. You got eighty some odd scholarships, but if you get down to sixty or Division two yeah. or whatever, where they're, they're limited to maybe thirty, but a good a good coach you carve out some time, even if it's a partial scholarship, because it wins and loses games. Yeah. And when you see it, when you see it, that level of football a lot, you see how many games over the course of a season or a year, uh, you know, do get lost because it's, you know the snap goes back. You can time it with a sundial. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just not going to work out. So, yeah, it's a great way for kids to get there. Anyway, when you were talking about that, uh, it reminded me that, of, of those the camps for these guys, too. So, anyway, good talking to you. And, John, if I don't talk to you between now and the end of the month, uh, again, congratulations and best of health uh, to the little one. Thank you, Jimmy. Hopefully I will be with us through the draft, but I don't have much control over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> well, we, we, we didn't think a couple days ago where we thought for a couple hours that it might be a coming. Uh-oh. So... <laughs> no, so I'm here, but it would be just your luck that the baby is coming on draft day, right? I said it, Lance. You thanks. heard me. Th- thanks, Jeff. So now what happens? What you mean you. you're writing down predictable dates you on a calendar? I didn't realize Jeff. that uh, yeah. we were having that. I, I just thought of it. Yes. Um, well, there you go. I think I just ruined John's day by saying. Oh no, it. I've thought about it. I, I don't well, need you to be start it, yeah. saying it though. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, maybe, you know. Whoever... Because I will figure out a way to do our draft shows as long as the kid is not born. <laughs> it, even if the kid's born on the due date, the 26th, I okay. will figure out a way to do something on the 28th or 29th. Maybe not the 28th, but the 29th for sure because the kid will be home by then. <laughs> and Clara will be in school. So I'll have an hour or two window to do there something. You go. But, yeah, if, if the kid's born, like, on the 28th, I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm finished. Thanks, there won't Jeff. be a laptop then in the delivery room is what you're saying? No, I'll, so. have the, I'll have the TV on. But, <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I was talking about more of the you know, yeah. inner workings of a show and so forth. No, so, no, that's what no. I was the, referring to. The, yeah. the, the Comrax access will, <laughs> will uh, not be next to uh, yeah, we're putting you in a So there won't be room. an engineer on standby in the delivery room? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. I think, I'll be there if you need me. Oh, oh really, Pearson? You know, actually, you know, Lance, I think having Chris Majkowski trying to like be the like soft touch in the delivery room for the wife, I think that would go fantastic. Sure, yes. Oh, I can only just picture that right now. I'm sure he would put that probably on his bucket list yeah. of uh, activities. Rolling in one of those big, old, big yes. trays of equipment, sir. You know, because, you know, because, you know, Chris Majkowski and Bedside Manor, those are the two <laughs> words that generally, I think, go together, right? No, see, the doctor would have to work around the setup as opposed <laughs> to vice versa. That's how it would operate. Excuse me. There's some uh, very valuable wires in this vicinity. Maybe you can accommodate I, the I, child on you, the right side. I, I'm visualizing that happening so, right yeah. now. I'm so seeing that in my eyes right now. That could be, yeah, that would definitely yeah. be exactly what it would be like. Yeah, with no emotion whatsoever. No, of course. No, it you would know? be as if it was just business as usual. Yeah. I said, hey, buddy, you know, you're on my clock here. Let's go. <laughs> chop, chop. Like, Why are you right. in my delivery room? Are you, yeah. are you the doctor? What's your name? What are you here for? We're gonna I mean, we mapped do. out this room for weeks. No. You know, we made sure the Ethernet was running accordingly with the jacks and everything. And that you know, would just be getting the line. in my way. That would be yeah. the line, Jeff. You know, we're trying to do a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kid is secondary. And Come the on. doctor would be like, well, I'm yeah. trying to deliver a kid here. What's more important? Well, well of course, the radio show. The show know. must go on, yeah. right? They always say that. So, Is there anything yeah. you do about all that screaming in the background? No. <laughs> no, we just cut it out. It's part of the show. Not even these soundproof headphones. It's our audience. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, good luck right, with that. That was, that was a good laugh. All right, yeah. guys, thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a great weekend. And again, uh, check out Austin Gale on uh, the Giants Huddle. It's up right now. Go check it out. I'll promote it later. Uh, the the most recent uh, Giants, uh, what the heck is it called? Draft Season Podcast. That That is also up. It's not on the Giants Huddle Podcast feed. Go subscribe on a separate podcast platform. Again, it's called Draft Season. And our huddle on Mondays with former NFL Scott Brian Broaddus. We have a lot of fun with that. For Lance, for Jeff, I'm Schmelk. Enjoy Tiger. Goodbye. Enjoy Yankees opening day. We'll talk to you on Monday.